0: Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region.
1: We strongly condemn the police that arrest uh, the
0: protesters.
1: Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On
0: Community Radio 3CR. Workers
2: of the world should unite to fight the greedy capitalists.
1: Brought to you by Australia-Asia Worker League. Good morning and welcome to Asia-Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hannah and I am taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Of course, Asia-Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia-Asia Worker Links and you can get in touch with us uh, on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter so find us on those social media platforms as well. So coming up on today's program, in the second part of the program, I'm going to play you an interview that was conducted by, uh, by Pierre Moro. He's one of the producers of the show, for those of you who listen regularly. Um, Pierre spoke with Joe Dahed earlier in the week. Joe Dahed is a Syrian solidarity activist. He's from an organisation called the Syria Freedom Forever Group, and they're discussing the current military and political situation in Syria. But of course, first up on the program, as it is every week, news from around the region. We're going to start in the Philippines. As President Duterte's administration approaches its fourth month of office, the death toll of the war on drugs he's unleashed is literally increasing too fast to count. It's believed that by the end of August, 2,000 people will have been killed by either police or death squads. Amid increasing international concern at these massacres, the government is enlisting the help of the business community and sports stars for support. These killings are having a devastating impact on impoverished working-class communities. The reinvigorated reinvigorated the Philippines' death squads and they'll have no impact on the usage of drugs, but runs a risk of turning the country into another Mexico. Moving now to Iraq, a recent report on child labour has highlighted the social catastrophe that affects many Iraqis due to the ongoing effects of war. UNICEF reports that there are over half a million underage workers in Iraq, often working in precarious conditions in an environment that's badly regulated. The number of working children has been steadily increasing, Um, due to the levels of poverty or the rise in the levels of poverty among working-class Iraqis from widespread violence and displacement. The ongoing political crisis and endemic corruption only worsens the situation there. And moving now to PNG, the war in Bougainville that began in 1988 and lasted for 10 years cost the lives of approximately 20,000 people. The dispute focused on the huge Panguna mine owned by Rio Tinto. While the PNG government carried out the war against the local landowners, the Australian government was fully committed to helping PNG. While the war finished in 1998, no reparations or rehabilitation were ever carried out. This week, Rio Tinto announced that they will formally walk away, leaving the villagers to cope with the ongoing toxic effects of the mine. Rio Tinto has a history of suppressing uh, opposition to its mines, Um, and of course, one of those key mines is in West Papua. And now, looking at the situation for seasonal workers in Australia, a recent investigation by the Fair Work Ombudsman found that a group of 26 fruit workers from Pacific Island nations were subjected to illegal practices. The workers were brought here by Seasonal Labor Solution, a labor hire company, and they weren't they were not only underpaid but also subjected to extraordinary extraordinarily long work hours. Just last week, the National Union of Workers was able to win back wages for two international farm workers. These aren't isolated cases in the Australian fresh food producing sector. The NUW has now produced a website to help international workers in Australia work out if they're being underpaid. And in Turkey, over 300 workers employed at the Huzong plant in Cerkazoye which is a small city just west of Istanbul in Turkey, have been on strike since mid-August against the company's anti-union stance. Five years ago, the workers managed to form a union and get it formally uh, to be recognised by the courts. The company challenged this decision and has tried to intimidate and pressure the workers to leave the union. In the last few years, the unions in Turkey have faced increasing hostility from both the employers and the government. And in South Korea, last weekend, migrant workers in South Korea staged rallies in the city of Seoul, Daegu and Busan to call for greater rights. As with many other countries in the world, migrant workers in South Korea are brought in on temporary visas. They are unable to access the full rights that other workers have and therefore suffer greater exploitation at their workplaces. While they've fought and achieved gains in the past, they're still demanding secure visas, an end to discrimination, and the right to freely choose their jobs. And finally, a story again from the shipbreaking industry. The most recent report about the shipbreaking industry in Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh details the consequences of the brutal race to the bottom that drives this industry. As a country with the lowest wages and costs, Bangladesh received around forty per cent of ships in the months of April to June, um, which were sent to South Asia. Many deaths and injuries were recorded in this period. Unfortunately, while workers are trying to organise the repression of trade unions means that injuries and deaths are common in this in the shipbreaking yards. And that's all we've got for news from around the region. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then our feature interview for the morning. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday
0: years in the making, radical radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station
1: At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or
0: online at 3cr.org
1: Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. It is nine minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Earlier this week, Pierre interviewed Joe Daher, a Syrian solidarity activist from the Syria Freedom Forever group. They spoke about the current military and political situation in Syria and what actions can solidarity activists take to support the popular uprising within Syria.
0: It's been over five years of war in Syria. Who are the main military armed groups in Syria
2: now? After five years, after the beginning of the uprising, that turned increasingly into uh, a military confrontations on various sides. On one side, you have the, the army of the regime that has been consider- considerably weakened, that passed from 300,000 soldiers to between sixty to 90,000 soldiers. So they are not the one directly involved in the various fightings but you do have important militias that have been established by the regime, like the National Defense Forces, for example, that are not only being on sectarian links, but also ethnic links, uh, tribal links, uh, clientelism, corruption as well. That is a force that now constitutes around 80,000, maybe 100,000 militia men. And that is also trained and funded partly by uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and also by some businessmen close to the regime. In addition to this, on the, the, the regime side, you have, of course, uh, various uh, Shia Islamic fundamentalist forces, such as Abbas uh, militia from Iraq, uh, various uh, Shia sectarian militias from Iraq, as well as uh, fighters from uh, Iran, Afghan Shia refugees that are used by the Islamic Republic of Iran, completely exploited. Uh, You have the Hezbollah group, which is the Lebanese Shia fundamentalist force, with thousands of uh, soldiers on the ground. And obviously, uh, Iranian generals, cadres, uh, training, participating in uh, the various military offensive throughout Syria. You also have uh, Russian soldiers on the ground, also playing an important role in uh, training, advising the various forces on the ground uh, with army regime. And the of course, of an important Uh, Syrian aviation and Russian aviation that have been uh, bombing various areas of Syria, especially Aleppo, for the past few months, uh, with uh, destructive and um, murderous uh, results. So this is on the side of the regime. On the other side, you have various military components. You obviously have the Kurdish uh, PYD forces that control certain areas of uh, Syria. You have the Islamic State that also control various areas of Syria, notably its main control is on uh, Raqqa, but you do find other groups of uh, Daesh throughout uh, Syria. And after you have various uh, opposition forces that are framed within the opposition, but even there you have a lot of differences. For example, uh, Fatih Sham, which is ex jabhat al nusra that was linked to Al-Qaeda, that is still very much the same organization, sectarian, reactionary, that except to work with other Islamist fundamentalist groups such as uh, Islam Army, of, uh, led by Alush, which is present in, mostly in Damascus' countryside but also in, in the north. You have the Salafist jihadist group that is called Ahrar al-Sham, which is mostly present in northeastern of Syria, Idlib, countryside of Idlib, uh, countryside of Aleppo, Fatih Sham ex Jabhat al Nusra is also mostly present in northeast of Syria, but also in other areas of Syria. And you have various Free Syrian Army groups. So, for example, in northeastern Syria, are mostly, most of the time, under the leadership of Ahara Sham um, Jabhat al Nusra, although there are also some opposition. For example, the Firqat al Division 13 in and Oman is in opposition to Jabhat al-Nusra, and in the city you had had demonstrations for more than 100 days against Jabhat al-Nusra to demand the liberation of Free Syrian Army combatants. And in the south, close to Daraa areas, you have the south and Free Syrian Army, but is very much controlled by um, the U.S. and uh, the Jordanian state that uh, most of the time forbid this group to, to fight the regime and want, uh, wants it to concentrate on the Islamic State. So on, on the opposition side, not talking about the Kurdish uh, forces of the Day, which is linked to the PKK, unfortunately, most of the, the military groups are today, especially northeastern Syri- uh, Syria and Damascus country south, led by reactionary sectarian forces such as ex-Al-Qaeda Fatih Sham, Islamic army, Ahra sham so this is very unfortunate, although you do have some groups of the Free Syrian army uh, with democratic aspirations still uh, present in various areas of Syria, but very much weakened.
0: In the areas that are in the big cities and the smaller cities, are there still civilian groups, organisations that are still active politically in
2: rebel areas? Yes, definitely. And this is why Aleppo, the liberated areas of Aleppo has been targeted by the regime for the past few months and even past few years, is that you have a center of democratic uh, civilian society, if you want, with democratic groups organizing demonstrations in the framework of the spirit of the Syrian revolution, freedom and dignity and opposing sectarianism that has been organizing from A to Z, uh, their areas, free municipalities being elected, although with obviously problems with the lack of women in the participation of municipalities management. But you had the, the organization of theaters, of uh, medical centers, especially hospitals and uh, liberated areas In Aleppo, have been targeted by Russian and Syrian bombings. And as a reminder, you had when you had a, a small period of truth of stopping of the war, in February you had more than 100 demonstrations throughout the country. So it means as soon as the war stops, you have an upsurge of uh, of democratic uh, demonstrations because these democratic groups are still present on the ground, although weakened very much, first because of the regime and secondly obviously because of the reactionary fundamentalist Islamic groups that also attacked them, although on, on a much lesser. Uh, level than the, the regime because the regime is bombing it has more power forces and its allies but these groups are still present and uh, also you had demonstrations in the summer in regime uh, areas such as uh, sweda which is majority inhabited by the Druze minority against the regime so you still have although very much weakened democratic groups still present within the country struggling for the initial aspiration of the revolution democracy social justice and against sectarianism and racism so there's still a a little bit of hope but this hope is only possible to reorganize if the war ends you did mention
0: about some demonstrations within government control areas can you Give us just a quick overview of what it is like, especially for working-class people in the government-controlled areas and cities in
2: Syria after five years of war. Obviously, it's without saying that the, the popular classes in usually liberated areas from the regime are suffering much more than under governmental areas. I'm not speaking of the Kurdish areas, although they're also suffering under the for various uh, reasons, political, social, etc. But under the the, the regime domination, first of all, you have an inflation that has gone over 200%, 250%. So uh, products, uh, basic necessities are very expensive. While most of the salaries have not been indexed to this uh, rising inflation, People living under very difficult conditions, unemployment has gone over 60 to 70 percent. Statistics show that people living on the poverty line is around 60 to 80 percent throughout Syria. Obviously, workers are not able to organize on the regime areas, and this is not something new. Pressure on them has been increasing, especially to satisfy businessmen linked to the regime. Uh, No kind of protest challenging the regime and its art is allowed on certain issues. For example, parties uh, close to the regime, or supportive to the regime, do some small demonstrations on social issues, but without challenging the regime at all. This is without forgetting that uh, the clientelism of the regime obviously increased uh, throughout these five years uh, to satisfy the businessman-linked to the regime. So the patrimonial nature of the regime has only been strengthened.
0: Now just looking slightly more at the regional influences, in the last couple of months the government of Turkey seems to be changing its foreign policy objectives. How do you see these changes affecting the situation on the ground in Syria?
2: Changes regarding Turkish foreign policy were occurring in the past few months and has been accelerated with the the failed coup of a fraction of the army uh, in Turkey. First of all, a direct rapprochement with uh, Russia and Iran. And uh, there's been even Lebanese newspaper Safir saying that a Turkish member of the security services visited Damascus. This still has to be confirmed. Although there's still very much anonymity hatred between the, the Syrian regime and the Lugans-led government. But definitely, there's a rapprochement with the Iranian-Russian axis. And the last bombing of the city of Hasake, which is mostly controlled by, uh, it is divided between Kurdish forces of the PYD and the Assad regime, show that there's a general change on the ground, and also of the discontinuing um, uh, bombardments of uh, Turkish uh, military at the Syrian border on Islamic State forces, but also on the Kurdish forces that returned in these past few days. So the change might be that Turkish state and uh, the Syrian state might see a rapprochement regarding the Kurdish issue, meaning that they would do everything to prevent any kind of uh, Kurdish autonomous uh, region in Syria. So this might be a direct consequence, whereas Turkey was also maybe have a more distant relationship with the European Union. My next
0: question was going to be about northern Syria and the PYD and and the Kurdish question, because it certainly seems that the Syrian Kurds are very close to getting power or getting control over what they would see as their natural ethnic cultural area. What do you think is going to happen over the next few weeks? Do you think they're going to now be put under pressure from both the Syrian government and the Turkish government?
2: Definitely, because, first of all, the the region we're talking about is what... uh, The PYD administration, PYD meaning the the Syrian PKK, administration of various areas inhabited uh, in majority by Kurds, but also they've been increasingly also occupying regions inhabited by Arab population as well, creating problems. But to come back to your question, first of all, there never been a, a strategic coalition between the regime. And the PYD forces, as some have said, especially in the, the Syrian Arab chauvinistic opposition, the PYD has constantly worked for its own interest. This must be said, working sometimes with the regime, doing a pragmatic uh, deal with it of, non, of non-confrontation, although clashes occurred at some occasion in Aleppo and in Hasake or Qamishli between Kurdish forces and uh, the PYD, Kurdish forces and the regime... Uh, but it was never a strategic coalition. It was more a pragmatic understanding. And uh, now we're seeing this, this pragmatic understanding might, might be challenged. Although uh, there's already some, uh, Russia is trying to play as a mediator between PYD forces in Hasaki and the regime. Although PYD forces has taken over 90% of the city now. Most probably in the future, what we will see is definitely increasing challenge to Kurdish the domination of some regions in Syria because the Basist regime, the Assad regime, will never accept any kind of autonomy uh, of Kurdish regions. And if uh, a rapprochement occur on this issue with the Turkish, AKP or government, the domination of PYD forces in this region might be very, very difficult indeed. Because it's in the interest of no one to see of the the great powers, I mean, and the regional powers to seek any kind of uh, Kurdish uh, autonomy on PYD domination in Syria, whether Turkey, whether Syria, whether Iran or the, the Gulf countries.
0: Getting to a final question. In terms of solidarity actions for labour and human rights activists around the world, what do you think are the major steps or actions that are needed to help the popular uprising in
2: Syria now? So solidarity must be done, I think, on two levels. First of all, uh, regarding Syria, it's to provide our solidarity and assistance when it's possible to the democratic forces in the country in Syria Still fighting and struggling for the initial objective of the revolution, which is you know, which are as I said before democracy, social justice, and against sectarianism against racism, which means that they oppose both the regime assad regime and uh, religious uh, fundamentalist forces. This is very important to speak about their struggles when they occur, to give them the ability to organize by sending them for example maybe fundings or etc. You have a lot of various organizations doing uh, humanitarian help also that are very important, such as the White Helmets uh, within Syria, and they have a website. You can reach them and fund them. To speak, obviously, of their struggles, this is one thing, and also to struggle for stopping the war, meaning stopping the war, especially of the the Assad regimes and the allies against the civilian population, which will enable them to, to organize and to reorganize and to able refugees to come back. This is very important to, to reach an objective of stopping this war for the sake of the civilian population. On the level of peace, of people, activists and people in society in the West or in Australia, it's obviously struggling against their own governments that implements racist laws and policies against Syrian refugees. We have to have a clear slogan of welcoming Refugees opening borders, give them the ability to live and not to survive. It means providing them housing, enabling them to work, etc. Obviously, this means also challenging neoliberal policies of your own uh, governments, challenging imperialist policies of, uh, of your own governments. I know that Australia is participating with the coalition in bombing areas in Syria and Iraq. This does not help uh, most of the times because it's creating the same conditions that allowed, for example, Daesh to develop, especially when dictatorship to regimes are not removed. So imperialist and obviously military policies must be challenged as well. So this is how I think we should organize solidarity and obviously give voices to, to Syrian Democrats and progressive in Australia by organizing conferences to speak about their struggle and to make links between our struggles in Australia or in Syria. Because any advances of the Syrian people is advances for the Australian popular classes, just as the opposite is true. So I think this is important to put it in an internationalist framework when we speak of solidarity and we act in solidarity.
0: Thank you for that, Joe. They were certainly inspiring and fighting words, uh, especially on a topic that, unfortunately, for our sisters and brothers in Syria, they're they're facing very tough and hard times. So thank you again for um, taking time out to talk to us. Thank you uh,
2: for the invitation.
0: Have you ever wanted to write songs about important issues and help change the way people think about them? Change the World with Your Song is a songwriting competition designed to do just that, built around the four themes of environment, social justice, war and peace and political satire. It has age categories from kids to adults. For more information about this national songwriting competition, go to changetheworldwithyoursong.com, a 3CR supporter.
1: Hi, this is Liz Stringer and you're listening to The Mighty 3CR on 855am and digital radio, 3cr.org.au. That's right, you are listening to 3CR. It is 28 minutes past nine o'clock. That is bringing us to the end of the program. The interview that you just heard was between Pierre Morrow and uh, Joe Daherd. Joe Daherd is a Syrian activist and he's in the group called Syria Freedom Forever. Some community announcements before we conclude the show. The first one is uh, there is a prominent um, left-wing um, Sri Lankan musician who is in town. His name is Talaki Bandara. He's the voice of the silent masses, best known for awakening public consciousness through songs over four decades. He's going to be in Melbourne on Saturday, the third of September. And there is an event uh, at the Glen Waverley Community Centre that starts at 6 o'clock. Tickets are $25 and if you want more information, you can call Renuka on 0403 708 951. And also don't forget that there is a refugee rally today at one o'clock at the State Library. Um, so hopefully I'll see as many of you there as possible. That does bring us to the end of the program. You're listening to 3CR. Coming up next is Asia Calling. No violence, no violence, no hey, this is
0: Nick from You're listening to 3 Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you.
1: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.